Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning. Great to see all of you guys, and welcome to those of you who are watching us online. It's great to have you as well. Uh, well, This series is all about how you and I adapt and adjust to the changes of life. Change is inevitable, change is inescapable, and not many people really like things that change. I mean, I heard about a man who had turned 100 years old. The reporter heard about it and went to interview him. And the reporter asked the man, he said, wow, 100 years old, you've sure seen a lot of changes in your life. And he said, yeah, I've been against every one of them. (laughs) Well, I think that kind of expresses the attitude of most people about change. I read an interesting statistic that said every five years, every five years, uh, people change jobs. About every three years, they change car. About every two years, they change churches. (laughs) Uh, Every year, they'll change the style of their clothes. Uh, And about every month, they'll change their opinion on just about anything that they think about. So people are changing. People are adapting, they're adjusting, and since change is inescapable, since change is inevitable, I think it's important that you and I respond the correct way to a changing world. And so that's what the series is really about, because there's two things that will that will actually happen as you and I go through and we adjust to the changes of life. We will either kind of go with flow, you'll kind of surrender to the idea of fatalism, whatever will be, will be, you can't change it, so just go with it. And so that can happen, and when that happens, there's a certain sort of conformity that comes with that that takes you in places you really don't want to go. And then conversely, when you think about the other way you can respond to the changes of life, it's not being conformed, it's being transformed. And that requires a power within you greater than what you may currently possess. Because unless there is within you that which is above you, you generally succumb to what is around you and eventually fall into what is beneath you. (laughs) So you and I all need the presence and the power of God in our life to affect, to really affect transformation. Back last week, we looked at uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, and, and in Romans 12 too, here's what Paul he, uh, is exhorting people, and these are people, by the way, who are in a relationship with Christ. They've stepped through that threshold of faith. He says, do not conform, there's the word, do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world. Now, notice he's talking about this as a choice. You, you and I have a choice. Uh, here's what I know. You and I will end up on the level we settle on. You'll end up with the life you're willing to settle for, with the marriage you're willing to settle for, with the relationship you're willing to settle for, with the business you're willing to settle for. We end up on those levels. Now, the Bible says we are to be content, but we're never to be complacent. (laughs) And so Paul is saying, look, don't be like this any longer. Realize where you are. You are being conformed into the pattern of the world. Now, what does that mean? What is that expression, conformed into the pattern of the world? What does that mean? The word conform means to be pressed into the mold of. Don't be pressed into the mold of this pattern of the world. Well, what does world mean? <laughs> you know, well, in the Bible, there are three usages of the word world. There is a world in the sense that it is a created world. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So the world that is created, the Bible refers to it as the world. Then there is the world of people, for God so loved the world. He's talking about people. 
Sometimes it means that. But in this case, this word world is not created world, it's not people, it's a system. I shared this a little bit with you last week, it is a system. Now you and I in our modern way of thinking would call this system secularism. It's just a system that doesn't include God in its thinking. You, you, you just don't consider him until you know the bottom falls out of your life and a doctor says you need to pray and you say, oh my God, are we down to that? <laughs> I mean, it is a system that you can fall into a pattern of thinking that does not include God. Most people you encounter in life are not theoretical atheists. They don't, in theory, believe there's no God. They're more practical atheists. They just live their life as though there is no God. So I'm suggesting you that it is easy, and that, by the way, this is a, a person who has a relationship with Christ. This is a Christ follower. It is easy to be pressed into the pattern of secularism, to be pressed into the mold of the world. It's our default setting. In fact, I really believe when you understand the teaching of Hebrews 2, he says, be careful at the things, unless the things that you have been taught slip away. It's a nautical term. It's the idea that if you're bringing a boat to a dock, you have to take great care. Uh, you can't just kill the motor, pull the oars in, drop the sail, and think you'll drift to the dock. <laughs> so when he says, be careful that you let these things slip, he's saying, don't pull the oars of your life in, don't drop the sails, don't kill the motor. You need to be purposeful and intentional. You are large and in charge of you. And so you have to own this and you have to say, if, if I don't get become proactive in the direction of my life, my relationships, every aspect of my life, then I'm going to drift into the pattern of conformity to the world instead of being transformed. He goes on to say, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It starts in how you think. Transformation or being conformed. Transform, conform. Transformed into the image of Christ looking more like who he is and what he has designed us to be. Now, I shared this with you last week, but the word transformed is also translated metamorphosis. You remember that from biology, metamorphosis? It's the process through which the caterpillar enters the cocoon and emerges as the butterfly. Meta is to change, uh, uh, morph is to change a form. So you put it together, you have metamorphosis, which is a change of form. It's when the inward nature that part of us that has the presence of God within us comes outward. In other words, it's when my faith is reflected in how I do business, when my faith is reflected in how I love my family, it's when my faith is reflected in how I treat other people. You see, it's when the <laughs> caterpillar emerges from the cocoon and that which is inside of me is seen outside of me. And that's important. I've told you before, the greatest argument for Christianity is a Christian and the greatest argument against Christianity is a Christian. Mahatma Gandhi once said, I might have become a Christian if I'd actually ever seen one. <laughs> so the challenge for all of us is to live out the faith we say we embrace. And I want to tell you that will not happen without transformation. And what's interesting is transformation is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. We don't grow up overnight. We don't mature overnight. You don't transform overnight. It is a process. One, by the way, you have to commit to. You have to say, I'm just, you know, I, I, I'm absolutely wanting to see my life transform, my family transform, my business transform. I want to live a transformational life. And remember, he said it starts in the head. I told you last week that we came into the world head first. And every dimension you go into and out of in your life will be head first. It starts with the way you think. And this transformation is a process. Do you remember in biology, did you have a teacher who told you that when that 
butterfly is emerging for the cocoon. Uh, if you help the butterfly in the process, you can kill it. I remember that struck me because the tendency you would have to see the butterfly struggling to free itself from the cocoon is to try to open that cocoon a little bit and help that thing go. But my biology teacher told us, they said, if you do that, you weaken the butterfly and it won't live. And then she went on to say that the strength of the butterfly is found in its struggle to be freed from the cocoon. Well, what's my point? My point is sometimes God will allow us to struggle in life because there's strength in the struggles. He, he's really preparing us for life at the next level. Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians. He said, I receive comfort so that I can give comfort. And as I said a minute ago, you can't give what you don't have any more than you can come from where you've not been. <laughs> so it's really important that we understand God is doing something or allowing something to happen in our life that ultimately will strengthen us so he can move us from crawling on the ground as the caterpillar to emerging from the cocoon as the butterfly and reaching the potential he's designed us to reach. One of the best illustrations of this is John. <laughs> what a transformation. When you meet John and his brother James, his mother introduces him to Jesus this way. She said, can my boys sit one on the right and the other on the left when you come into your kingdom? Isn't that like a mother? And these guys are so presumptuous, they're like, yeah, I can see me sitting right there on the throne. <laughs> me and Jesus are like that. And they didn't realize how arrogant that was to imagine that somehow you had achieved some level of you know, that you could sit next to God in his kingdom? Are you kidding me? You see them a little later, not only are they, 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 proud, are they proud and they're arrogant, but you understand their nicknames were the sons of thunder. They had some anger issues. <laughs> so these were, these were angry, intolerant, proudful men. John was one of those. In fact, on one occasion, when they were going to go through the land of the Samaritans, the Samaritans had no dealings with the Jews, the Jews with the Samaritans, there was racial strife, there was a lot of tension, and the Samaritans wouldn't let them go through. So you're gonna have to go around. Well, it infuriated John. I think I told you last weekend, John said, Jesus, let's just call fire down from heaven. <laughs> let's call it an airstrike. <laughs> we'll burn these jokers out. And Jesus told him, he said, man, you don't know what spirit you're of. You, you, you don't know, that's a bad attitude, John. What's my point? My point, these were all qualities of a man who knew Jesus. A man conformed, not transformed. Do you realize you can be connected to your creator and never experience any type of transformation in your life? Be just as mean and nasty as you were before you met Jesus. Nothing really changes. And I'm just suggesting that you and I have to agree to this. That's why I said, don't do this anymore. You're in control of this. You need to purposefully engage in a process that brings about real transformation. Now, what happened to John? John obviously stayed in the process. You know what ultimately happened to John? He wrote more about love than any of the other apostles. A son of thunder became an apostle of love? <laughs> what happened? One word, transformation. In fact, when you read Acts 8, after the ascension in Acts 1, and Jesus empowers the church to go out and reach the then-known world, guess who goes to the Samaritans to tell them about Jesus? Are you ready for this? John. I thought he hated the Samaritans. He did. What changed? His heart. You see, when you love God, you love who he loves. 
When you love God, you love what he loves. And there won't be any change in a person's behavior until the change begins from within. It has to happen in the heart. And John went with the process, so he goes from being proudful and intolerant, he goes from being prejudiced and bigoted to a man who loves those who consider themselves to be his enemy. By the way, this is free like the rest of it, but it didn't really change the relationship between the Samaritans and the Jews. They hated them, they hated them right back. Nothing changed. You know what changed? John. You know what I found in my life, and see if this, this is something that you, you might agree with, that oftentimes the focus of my prayer is to ask God to change my circumstance. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Have you ever stopped to think about it that it may not be the circumstance that needs to change, but me? Maybe God is using my circumstance as a vehicle to change me. So maybe sometimes we need to take the prayer and we ought to say, Lord, while I'm asking you to change the circumstance, would you teach me what you're wanting to teach me while I'm in this process? Man, don't waste your trouble. <laughs> try to figure out and try to learn what is God trying to teach me. The strength is in the struggle. And John was in a process that was transforming his life. And one of the first things, guys, that was evident in a transformed life was his love. His love for God, his love for his fellow man, his love for those who didn't even know God. You know what Jesus said in John 13, 35? He said, by this will everyone know you are truly my disciples if you love each other. He's talking to the church. He's saying if you quit you know, biting and devouring one another, I mean, a lost world is not going to buy into the fact that we really love God if we don't love each other. <laughs> I heard about, I don't know if you've ever been in a church like this, I heard about this church, it's trouble, trouble, pressure, this stuff. Poor pastor tried so hard to turn things around, get the people to get along with each other. They just had this philosophy, you know, us more, no more, shut the door. I mean, so internally focused, and then they didn't even like who they were internally focused on. Finally, he quit. He resigned. Here's what his resignation letter, here's how it went. I resigned today as your pastor. I don't believe you love me because I haven't gotten a salary in a couple of months. He said, I don't believe you love each other because I don't ever marry any of you. He said, I don't believe God loves you because none of you ever die. <laughs> he said, I go to a far better place than this come Monday morning as I become chaplain at the state penitentiary. And he said, where I go, you cannot come now but I go to prepare a place for you, and I hope to see all of you there real soon. <laughs> now that was a bitter man in a bad church. <laughs> I'm just saying, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. I, I, have you known anybody that's known the Lord for a long time and just got bitter, angry, hostile? I know some. Well, you start saturating their presence with your absence. <laughs> they just have like a people repellent spray. They just put it off everywhere they go. You say, wow. I'm just saying, man, that doesn't have to be you. It doesn't have to be me. We don't have to become embittered by the experiences of life. We can allow those struggles to strengthen us and emerge ultimately as the people God has created us to be. Listen, and one of the ways you measure how you're doing is by this thing called love. Let me give you the heart of this and we'll go home. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul really expands on this idea of love and he describes it as the fruit of the Spirit. Love is the fruit of the Spirit is love. First one, the fruit of the Spirit. Now notice what he didn't say. He didn't say the fruit of a Christian because the level of love he's addressing here cannot be manufactured in your own ability or mine. 
This is something that only God can produce. The ability to love your enemy. The ability to love people that abuse you, misuse you. That's, that, that's not, listen, that's not natural. <laughs> it's supernatural. And so what he's saying is when you're in process to be conformed into the image of the world, the pattern of the world means you hate me, I hate you right back. <laughs> but when you're being transformed, then your attitude is, God, help me to love this knucklehead with your love. So you still have an issue with them, but you're learning to love them. You see, I'm trying to be honest. And it is a byproduct, it is the fruit, it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So we have to, first of all, define what this love looks like. So number one, love defined, what, what does this love look like? You see, in our English language, we have that one word love that covers a lot of stuff. You can say, I love peanut butter, and then you can say, I love my mom. <laughs> <laughs> you love mom like peanut butter? No, I mean, we, we get the context, but it's still the one word. The Greeks were very explicit. They had four different words to describe this one word that we have in our English. One was eros, eros. We get the word erotic from that love, it's sensual. Then there was storge. Storge meant a fondness for, an affinity for. Maybe you wave at a neighbor when you go by or you see somebody in church. You don't really know them, but you, that's, they're a good family and hi. You know, you do. So you have that level of relationship. Then you have phileo. Phileo, that's a friendship, a real genuine friendship. Philadelphia, oh, city of brotherly love, <laughs> sort of. Hate their football team, don't you? But anyway, that's, I digress. Here's the point. You, you, phileo, that's where it comes from. It's a level of love. Now, all, all three of these four levels you can reach in your own ability. Uh, I don't need to explain it, but you, you, you got Eros down. <laughs> you can do Storge. You know about Phileo. But the level of love I'm talking about this morning is the highest level of love. It's God's love. It's agape. It's sacrificial. It's sanctifying. Meaning when someone loves you with that level of love, they make you a better person because they're in your life. As God has changed us, that person can change your life. Being around someone makes you a better you. That's the highest level of love. It's, it's sacrificial. It's sanctifying. It's sovereign. It's satisfying. I mean, it's the highest level. And you, we can't get there on our own. There's no way you can achieve that level of love without being in the process of being transformed by the renewing of your mind through the power of the Holy Spirit. So understand this love is defined, but it also is developed. This love can be developed. It is absolutely something that God can bring about in your life. And by the way, you can measure this. Let me go give you a good verse to measure this by. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Listen to how Paul puts this, and I'll explain it. But we all, with an unveiled face, meaning that before we were in a relationship with Christ, we just kind of see, we saw him through a veil. I've heard about him, I understand. I know the cross on the church isn't a big plus sign. I kind of get, you know, what's the theme. But you're not really in a relationship with Jesus. You're seeing him, but you're seeing him through a veil. But once you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, the veil is gone, and now you're beholding in a mirror, and listen to what he says you're looking at, the glory of the Lord. What does that mean? Glory, you would define the word glory as everything that God is. Paul is saying, now that I'm in a relationship with Christ, my life is being transformed. When I look at the man in the mirror, I should be able to see some of the characteristics of Christ in my life. 
In other words, my heart should be more tender now than it was a year ago. I should be more loving now than I was a year ago. I should be able to look at the man in the mirror and see that my life is being transformed. I'm beginning to see a little bit of who God is in me. Let's read on. 2 Corinthians 3.18 again. But we all with this unveiled face, beholding in a mirror the glory of God, we're seeing his likeness reflected in that mirror, note now, are being transformed. There's our word. We're being transformed how? Into this same image, the image of Christ. How are we doing this? From glory to glory by the power of the Holy Spirit. What does glory to glory mean? It means stage by stage, phase by phase, level by level. It's like school, first grade, second grade, third grade. And God is taking you progressively on this journey of transformation. You're not the person again you were a year ago. You're not the person you're gonna be a year from now. And if you continue in the process and seeing being conformed into the pattern of the world, you're being transformed more into the image of his son and love is being reflected through your life. You go from glory to glory, stage to stage. And I gotta tell you, there's problems at every level. With new levels come new devils. And so as you progressively go to the next level of life, you're gonna engage more trouble. Remember, strengthen the struggle. He's preparing you. Seventh grade work is harder than sixth grade work. But he's preparing you for eighth grade. And eighth grade is going to be, uh, you know, easier than ninth grade. So each step, he's preparing us progressively to move farther and farther with him. Now, have you helped the kids or the grandkids with some homework problems that are pretty easy, but when you were in their shoes, they were real hard? <laughs> That's kind of the idea. What you go through, you grow through, and God is using those experiences of life to help us, strengthen us, so we can help someone else. Think about this progression in your life. What is now your ceiling? What is now your ceiling? If you keep taking steps, eventually will be your floor. The thing that seems too high or the thing that seems over you, if you continue in the process, will eventually be the thing that's under you. That was the power of Jesus walking on the water. He came demonstrating, I'm over the thing that's trying to bring you under. There's nothing you and I, Jesus would say, can face together that we can't handle. We got this. But it's a process. It's step by step is how it's developed. Here's the last thought. And then you see the love demonstrated. You see the love demonstrated. Remember in Mark 7, he said it's not what comes into a person that defiles them, but it's what comes out. Uh, and the way, you, the way what's in you comes out of you is when you get pressured. You know, like the tube of paste, toothpaste. When you squeeze it, what's in there comes out. So when you get pressed in life and squeezed in life, what's in you comes out of you. And everybody's full of something. <laughs> and so I'm just suggesting to you that when something happens to you and something comes out of you that wasn't real sanctified, <laughs> the thing that happened to you didn't put that in your heart, it just drew it out. It just brought it out. And I'm just suggesting that we have these things that are in our hearts. And so God is in a process of revealing that because you can't really work on what you don't know is there. So you begin to work on it. And what's in there, if that heart is full of love, then that begins to be demonstrated in how I live my life. Back in, I love this. I'll close on this one. In Romans 12, where we started, but down in verse seven, I think, and change, um, Paul says this. Here's the exhortation. He said, let your love, or he said, your love, I think the translation I have, the love must be sincere. Okay. When this love is demonstrated in your life, it must be sincere. 
People can spot a phony. People can tell if you love them or care about them. I mean, people can see right through that. People are looking for authenticity. They're looking for someone who's real and genuine. So Paul is saying, man, as you get into this process, make sure this love you're exhibiting is sincere. Now, that's an interesting word. In fact, the word sincere was the first uh, good housekeeping seal of approval in the first century, meaning that uh, if a merchant had pottery or porcelain that he was going to sell, and he brought this piece of pottery, and somehow the pottery was cracked, the merchant would then melt wax and put wax in that damaged portion of the pottery and then paint it and then sell it to his customer as though it was whole. And you would know. So you put something hot in there or you put it over the fire and the wax melted and you said, the guy took advantage of me. So they developed this good housekeeping seal of approval in the first century. It was a Latin uh, word called senecara. Senecara means without wax. And so you would look at the bottom of the pottery or the porcelain, and if you saw senecara, then it meant this is a vessel of integrity. It's whole. We get the word integrity from integer, which is a whole number. We're to be a people of integrity, and this vessel is to be a, a vessel of integrity, meaning there's no cracks in there, meaning it's real, it's genuine, it's authentic. He said, your love needs to be that way. Have you ever stopped to think about why we sign our letters sincerely? It's because we're saying everything I've just told you in the body of this letter is true, it has integrity, it is my heart, and it is without wax. And so this was a powerful thing Paul was communicating. He was saying, let that love be genuine. Let it flow from you because a skeptical world is going to look at the way we treat each other and they're going to believe it or not believe it based on us. So let's be good examples of good examples. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that never returns void. It always accomplishes the purpose for which you've sent it. it it's always on target. So I pray, Father, that we will have heard this word and take from it something that will change the way we think and live, the way we do business, the way we love our family, our neighbor. I pray this will be a wonderful week for all the families here and those watching. I pray you'll bless their businesses, their health. I pray this will be a wonderful week. I pray that we'll continue in the process of emerging from the experiences of life stronger, better than ever before. And finally, Lord, I pray for my friends who may never have trusted you as Savior. I pray you'll impress upon them that it's not their religion. It is only in the relationship they have with you. You said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. I pray you would give that one the courage right where they are at this moment to pray a simple prayer like this and to say, Lord Jesus, with everything I know about me, I now trust everything I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin, and I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.